1: I'm your village founder and your host, Erin Royer. I hope everyone is staying sane and as safe as you can right now. I know we're heading into a really critical two week period at least here where we are in California and I think for most of the United States, I'm not as up on what's going on in the rest of the world right now, but I think a lot of the world is a little bit ahead of us, but I'm just wishing everybody lots of safety and that you're staying the course and not feeling too crazy being cooped up right now. So we'll keep up the good work here in California and hopefully in the rest of the United States. And we're staying home at our house as much as possible. I've actually vowed to stay out of every single store, even the grocery store, for the remainder of these next two weeks. So, so far we have been surviving on the produce and the meat that are home deliveries and then the randomly available snack deliveries from various locations and online ordering. And I've gotten a bit creative and done some new dinners just off the cuff like a nacho bar and a baked potato bar. So that's actually been fun. Okay, there's two questions today I'm gonna get to. One about a toddler who hates the car and another about a bedtime struggle with some head banging to fall asleep. Now before I get to these, I did wanna put an announcement at the beginning to make sure everyone hears it. So this first one is if you are a member or if you join, I now have a private Facebook group for members to ask questions and join me on a live chat. We're starting with bi-weekly, then we're gonna to move to weekly as we get more members joining us on that Facebook group and get more questions coming in. I've sent out an email, but I know that sometimes these emails go right into the spam folder, so if you're a member and you haven't seen that email, you probably haven't seen the announcement. I've been thinking about doing this for a while, but I really wanted to add this as some extra support for parents, especially during this time. Now this is something I will keep doing from here on out so long as members find it helpful and valuable for them. But this is definitely a good time to get this going. So if you're already a member, you want to send an email to amy, A-M-Y, at yourvillageonline.com. Let her know you'd like to be added to the Facebook group. If you'd like to take part in this and you're not yet a member, you can go to yourvillageonline.com Sign up for any of the three memberships, and then send an email to Amy to get invited to the Facebook group. We will be doing the first call, very most likely, over this coming weekend. The first question from Brittany, and she wrote, Hi, Erin, I've been a long-time listener of your podcast and was a member for a while. I'll likely join again soon now that my daughter has entered her toddler years. I started listening back when my husband and I first started trying to have a baby. Thank you for all that you do, and I'm hoping you could help me with a problem I'm having with my 12-month-old. She hates the car. The problem is, our morning and evening commute is a good 45-minute drive. We started this commute about three months ago, and it seems to just be getting worse. We've tried every toy imaginable, snacks, music, singing, a big cup of milk, reading books. I even occasionally give her contraband like my cell phone or a baby wipe just to keep her entertained for a minute. On a good day, the combination will help keep the crying at bay, but on a bad day, nothing seems to work. I'm at a loss. This morning, she was hyperventilating the entire 45-minute drive. I had to pull over twice because I couldn't focus. She was so upset. I'm not against letting her cry within reason, but the problem is she gets so worked up that I don't think she's capable of calming herself at that point. She'll literally turn purple and start gagging. She's crying so hard." I'm sure part of it is that she knows we're going to daycare in the morning and she does have separation anxiety and has been crying at drop-off. It seems to all be getting worse, the crying at drop-off and the car, so I'm not sure if the car crying is just an extension of the separation anxiety. She fusses on the way home still too, but I do feel like the morning drive is worse than the evening. Anyway, I'm at such a loss on what to do. Any suggestions would be appreciated. Thank you so much. Brittany. Now obviously Brittany sent this question in several months back, but for once things get back to normal for everyone on this topic, it may be helpful. Um, For Brittany especially, but anyone else who's gonna find this topic helpful because a lot of parents with toddlers experience separation anxiety because almost every single toddler or preschooler will experience separation anxiety or about of it, meaning not just one instance, but like a, a week or two or a month of it, and then it will go away and come back. Almost every single toddler or preschooler will go through this at least once in their developmental stage. Now, obviously, I would recommend the separation anxiety class and not sure, Brittany, if you took that one when you were a member or when you come back or if you remember anything about it. But once you get the separation anxiety under control, it's very likely the car rides would get better very quickly. Now, if I were able to do a live call, I would have the question and that is, How is she with errands? Now, I feel weird going through this whole question right now because it isn't very timely, but I do wanna answer this for Brittany because it's been a couple of months and we are gonna be getting back to normal, I think in another two months or so. So this may be popping up for people. So we're gonna work through this question because especially once you all get back to your normal routines of going back to work and dropping off kids, that separation anxiety is probably going to ratchet up a lot for a lot of you. So. You're gonna wanna be ready for this. So in Brittany's scenario, because it's bleeding over into the car drive, we're gonna talk about that plus the separation anxiety. So just getting in the car to run errands on the weekend, are you doing that or were you doing that? Were you ever getting out just for some little drives on the weekends? If you weren't doing this with her at all, I would start this once it's safe to get out and roam about town again. You wanna work on this from two angles, the first, is to create this happier association with the car so it isn't always just going to daycare. And the second is a separation anxiety piece. Now, I hate to equate children to pets, but because they're not pets, but there are some similarities sometimes in the way that we work with their behavior. And if you think about, you know, the dog always freaks out when they get in the car because the only place they ever go is to the vet. Well, every time they go in the car, they associate the car with the vet. So it's they freak out about it. If you have the dog who goes to the park and goes to pick up the kids at school and goes to the doggy store to pick out some treats, well, that dog doesn't mind getting in the car when they go to the vet because they don't know if it's gonna be the vet or something good. And because they associate it, for the most part, with something good, they don't have that reaction. So this is a similarity I'm gonna draw there. The second piece, of course, is the separation anxiety part at the drop-off. So let's start with the car. Once things get back to normal, short weekend drives to someplace fun like a park. Now keep the drive five to 10 minutes. Keep it short. Even if you normally frequent one you can walk to right by your house, find one that's a short drive with something novel for her. Maybe it's got a sandbox, maybe it's got a bigger slide, maybe it's got um, an interesting swing or something interesting to climb on, something a little different that you can go to instead. So this is something new and different. You can take her on some short errands to a store where you shop together for a few needed items, out to lunch, over to a friend's house. Now more than likely this is one of your friends who also has a child who is somewhat close to her age or who still has some toys that she would find fun and novel because at her age she won't probably have built friendships yet or and she won't care so much about the social aspect as kids 12, 18 months, even two years, really don't play interactively with each other. This doesn't start until the beginning of age three. But really anything where she can go and spend some special time connecting with you or with both you and your spouse together, the three of you. So it's a little weird, again, talking about this right now, as the idea of taking a toddler to a store at all, let alone where they can like explore and go touch stuff, is a little bit unnerving, I think, but we will get to this place of more normalcy again, and I'm sure for most of us, our public behaviors will be changed for a long time, though, and I'm sure we'll be more diligent about hand-watching, touching things, and using hand sanitizer, too, and for parents of toddlers, this is going to be something probably a little tough and new to get used to, but, you know, go where you feel safe, go where you feel like doesn't give you too much anxiety to let her go to the park and then wipe her hands down with some hand sanitizer, that type of thing. This is once you're able to get out again. Obviously right now we're not going out to parks for them, but working on this piece of making the car associated with some fun things is the first piece to work on. You can also have some novel toys in the car that she really likes that she only gets to use in the car. Now I know you said you've tried lots of different things, and right now this probably won't be something that she'll take to very well. But if she's using the car or getting in the car for some fun outings and then she also has some of these toys in the car to use for to go to the outings as well as to daycare, then that will start to create a more positive association with the car and then she might be more likely to engage with some of the newer toys that are just car toys. Then the other side is the separation anxiety piece. So for this, I also would have some questions about what this process has been up to this point. What Is the process. What do you do? What does she do? What do the daycare providers do? It's really helpful to kind of see what the unfolding of this is. To find those pieces that are trouble spots and work on those. Because how it's handled can greatly increase or decrease the anxiety, separation anxiety reaction to it. So there's a process of working on this and depending on what's happening. Different things you'll want to implement that's a little too complicated to get into here. But I wanna give you and some other parents who may experience the separation anxiety, especially once they go back to going to daycares and stuff after they've been home with mom and or dad or both for so long. So here are some tips to make sure you're doing the basic steps in building a solid foundation for minimizing the separation anxiety and decreasing the reaction. So some do's and don'ts. First do, you wanna know your school's policy for separation. Now, if this is a school that you're looking at, a preschool or a daycare you're looking at, this is something to ask when you take the tour. And I talk about that in the finding a preschool class also. This is something you wanna know. Does their separation policy mesh with yours as a parent? Number two, if your child is dealing with the anxiety, you wanna use empathy in a matter of fact way. This means you're using empathy language while you continue to move forward, to move towards your goal of getting out the door, of getting to school. So you would say something like, I know you want to stay home today. This is the empathy piece, that you're letting them know that you understand their feelings. I know you don't feel like going to school today. I know you'd rather be home with me. I know that it's fun to be home with mom and dad. But you're doing this while you're putting on their shoes. You're getting them in the car walking your child into the class. I know that you're feeling nervous about going into your class today, but you're keeping moving forward. The message is, you know this is scary for them, but it's important to keep moving forward. The next, be one of the first kids in class. If you can do this, this really helps cut down on the anxiety of walking into a class with a sea of faces and allows your child to warm up to one or two children coming into the classroom at a time. This is so much less anxiety-provoking than a room full of loud toddlers running around. This episode is sponsored by By Heart. By Heart is an infant nutrition company whose mission is simple, make the best formula in the world. Using the latest in breast milk science, Number two, do a slow transition. You wanna hang out for a few minutes and join in with your child with whatever they're doing, play, reading a book, that type of thing. Then you wanna stand back and watch for a few minutes. If she's still struggling with the idea of you leaving and you can do a more in-depth plan for slow transitions, and this is the part where it's important to know your school's policy, like I mentioned uh, the first step. Some schools have a strict drop off, say goodbye and leave policy. And there's nothing at all wrong with this. There's nothing detrimental. And I totally understand why some schools have this policy because some parents will linger and then they'll hug their child and then they'll hug them again and they'll go back and hug them again and then they'll say goodbye again when their child starts to have a fit, and that just makes it worse. It prolongs the process, it makes it harder for the teacher to get the classroom under control. So I do understand why this is a policy for some schools. It's just setting a strict boundary and say goodbye and move on. Other schools will allow more time for the transition. Now, I personally prefer this option. If it's done correctly, it allows parents to support the child in the transition process. I just liked having the flexibility, so if this is something you would like to have and you don't have a preschool yet or you don't have a daycare yet and you're going to be going out and looking, this is something you're going to want to find out if they have a policy about drop-offs and the amount of time you're allowed to stay for that if done in the appropriate and proper steps. If you're a parent who has dealt with the separation anxiety or you know that when you do, you want to you're okay with a quick goodbye, and then there's no need to find a school that offers a more flexible option, that's totally fine. Absolutely nothing developmentally wrong or damaging about this. If the guidelines that I've given of course are adhered to and I have some more I'm gonna go into if you follow these guidelines there's absolutely nothing wrong with doing it this way like I said if your child is still struggling when you leave after the slow transition that I just covered and you know your school policy or daycare policy allows it there is a more robust and in-depth slow transition process that can be followed that will help your child feel supported, but also assist in their development of more confidence and autonomy. So if this is something you'd like to learn how to do, the steps for that are in the separation anxiety class, along with an overview of separation anxiety, why it's a positive developmental step, why some kids are more prone to this than others, the steps to separation anxiety for the child, on the child's perspective and their side as well as some more do's and don'ts. You can find this on the website at yourvillageonline.com. But I want to give you a couple of the don'ts here. Whatever you do, do not sneak out. This adds to the anxiety the next time. It works completely against what you're trying to accomplish, which is your child learning how to cope with being left. This will only happen with trust. Sneaking out will break down the trust, so therefore it affects the relationship on every level, not just when it comes to the separation part. So you wanna make sure that your child is fully aware that you're leaving. Also, don't push your child to join others. This will only backfire. The goal is to support autonomy without forcing. I'm sure most of you have learned that you can't force your child to think or feel anything they don't or aren't ready for. So playing with others is no different. Everyone is different and most kids are not comfortable doing this and that's okay. I Meaning going in and joining other kids who are already playing. So there's some very important do's and don'ts in helping your child build this school, skill for joining other kids in play, the way to do it, the things to say, the things to ask. So if you're interested in learning about that, how to help your child join other kids in play in a way that it will make it much more successful and help them build that skill, that is in the Your Developing Toddler and the Your Developing Preschooler classes on the website, yourvillageonline.com. This is also a really good question or these types of questions will be great for the Facebook page because there's a little more interaction that can really help work through these issues. So so if you are interested in some of that more interaction back and forth with your questions, becoming a member and joining that Facebook group, we can do a little more back and forth about walking through these scenarios. The next question is from Florencia who wrote, Dear Aaron, I'm reaching out because I need advice with a challenge I've been having with my three-year-old son's bedtime routine. From about the age of six months old, he has been rocking himself to sleep by bouncing back and forth, very loudly and quite hard against his back and head. When he was still a baby in his crib, he would sit up and rock himself back and forth, banging really loudly and humming to himself on the back of his crib to get himself to sleep. We decided to move him to a single big boy bed with the hopes the loud rocking and head banging would stop. As a side note, my eldest son, who is now four and a half, also rocked back and forth, hitting his head loudly in his crib until the age of two and a half, and then he stopped when we moved him to a single bed, so we thought this would help out this little guy too. In any case, we eventually moved our youngest to a single bed, and he started getting out of bed, and will now only fall asleep rocking back and forth quite loudly in his rocking chair. We let him rock himself to sleep in the rocking chair for a bit, then moved him to his bed once he was fast asleep. But in the middle of the night, we hear him rocking back and forth in the rocking chair again, meaning he's gotten out of his bed and gone back to rocking in the chair to sleep. I have tried in the past to move him back to his bed numerous times during the night as the rocking gets quite loud and disturbs both my oldest son and my husband and myself. But he goes right back to the rocking chair, and both him and I end up tired in the morning from all the moving back and forth. I decided at last to let him sleep in the rocking chair because at least we're now both getting some sleep. I don't know if this is just a phase he will grow out of and eventually stay in his bed or or is this a case of removing the rocking chair from his bedroom altogether? I also worry about the rocking back and forth being a sign of autism or something else. Please help me as I'm completely at a loss and in desperate need of some advice. Thank you as always, Florencia. So the short answer to this question is that it's common and it's normal to see young children body rocking, head rolling, head banging to get themselves to sleep. They do it because it's rhythmic and it comforts and it soothes them. And this is his sleep association. This is what he's used to doing to fall asleep. The other thing is though, obviously, it's disconcerting to parents. If your child is developing well in all other ways, there's no need to worry, as this behavior will eventually go away, usually by the fifth birthday. So his older brother, his went away pretty early, but his may last a little longer. So here's some ideas. You can take the rocking chair out of the room, but if you do, be ready for a struggle with it. Because now he doesn't have his go-to apparatus for rocking himself to sleep. And he probably will just bang his head against the wall or bang it against the headboard of his bed. And I don't know if it's not as loud and that's something you want to work your way over to, that is an option best thing is to ignore the behavior. Your child might behave this way more if he sees it's a good way to get your attention or to get you to come into the bedroom, even if it's only to tell him to stop. So going into the bedroom and moving him will only exacerbate the behavior because he's getting your attention and getting to see you in the middle of the night. But it sounds like you've stopped all that, so that should help make it a little less frequent. But going in at night, checking on him, moving him over, that's just going to reinforce the behavior of moving over into the rocking chair, rocking to sleep. If it's the noise that's an issue, you wanna figure out how to fix the noise. Move the chair away from the wall, put some padding on the wall behind the chair or under the chair if it's not on a carpeted floor to reduce the noise. Here's when you might wanna get concerned and you would want to alert your pediatrician and get in for some further assessment. If your child is not reaching other milestones for emotional, social, cognitive, and language development. And or your child is also engaging in the rocking, banging behavior during the daytime waking hours. For children who do this, the rocking and banging or children who have a developmental delay or are on the autistic spectrum, the rocking and banging can get quite intense and then it can be dangerous because they're hitting themselves pretty hard. But it doesn't sound like this is the case in your instance. So chances are this is just something he'll grow out of and move on, but keep an eye out for that. And also, again, the uh, emotional, social, cognitive, and language development milestones. Make sure he's on track for those. That's another key indicator. If you're interested and you aren't sure what the normal milestones in these areas are by age, and how to support your child in reaching developmental milestones. The classes, your developing toddler, your developing preschooler, your developing infant, cover these milestones in three month increments, and how to support your child's development in reaching the milestones and any red flags to look out for. And those are on the website at yourvillageonline.com. So continue to stay safe and sane. And as always, if you have a question you'd like answered, you can send an email to podcast at yourvillageonline.com. Thanks for listening and see you next week.
0: So for those of you
1: still here and listening, I thought it would be fun to add a little outtake at the end that I just had. As you'll see, it actually wasn't my kids causing the problem. It works completely against what you're trying to accomplish, which is your child. Okay, Bambi, Bambi, you can't be napping. You can't be dreaming, honey. You can be napping. You can't be dreaming. Okay. (laughs) She's so cute.